drive is what we call our fourth metric. And that's really about the successful clinical outcome of a transplant. Did we have the high quality product that led to a successful transplant? And were we able to source that from a young viable donor for the patient? In the world of business finance, things change fast. Welcome to the Leaders of Modern Finance, a show where today's finance innovators discuss what the future holds. Learn from experts in the field as they explore emerging finance trends, insights, and more. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the leading account payable automation platform. With Stamply, collaborate easily and efficiently with invoice approvers, vendors, and anyone involved with purchases. This helps you quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com. Thank you for joining us today on the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. My name is Ben Murray, and I'd like to introduce Krista Dussel, CFO at Be The Match, to the show. Krista, how about we start first by telling us a little bit about yourself and Be The Match? Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. Excited to be here. Happy to be part of this podcast. As far as my, you know, my background and my personal introduction, I've spent my career primarily in finance and in healthcare. So I started my career in public accounting, in audit at Arthur Anderson, and had the opportunity early in my career to move to a, a large healthcare company, United Health Group, that's based here in Minneapolis. I was fortunate to have, you know, nearly 20 years of, of my career there and had some amazing opportunities. Probably half of that time was spent in core finance roles, accounting, financial planning and analysis, M&A, but I actually did leave the finance function for a while there uh, and had various roles in product, operations, international, and spent the last five years of my time there in our, our company's venture capital division. So it wasn't traditional venture capital where we were, you know, minority investing in existing companies. We actually launched the companies. So a little bit more like an incubator, launching companies in industries that that needed some um, systemic help, you would say, right? So industries like behavioral health, diabetes, orthopedics. I was very fortunate to, to spend some time there, see a whole life cycle of a company from the initial launch all the way to successful exit. So after the, the last exit of our behavioral health company, I just took the opportunity to look for some new positions and, and new challenges in my career and was very focused in mission-driven work, both in my roles at United Health Group, but in, in what I was looking for in the future. And so came across Be The Match uh, or the National Marrow Donor Program, and I, I took the CFO role there early this year. So Be The Match is, is a nonprofit based in Minneapolis. We connect patients with blood cancers like leukemia and lymphoma to a life-saving match of someone that is willing to donate bone marrow or stem cells for a transplant. So we curate the registry with a big emphasis on diverse recruitment of that registry. So the more diverse the population, the more likely we are to find matches for everyone. So equal outcomes for all. So that's a big focus for us. Not only do we curate the registry, but then we, we work with transplant centers who identify patients in need, work to find that match for them, facilitate the collection of either the bone marrow or stem cell, and then transport that product anywhere in the world from the donor to the patient. 
it's an amazing mission, literally saving lives, right? So couldn't be happier to be at this organization and, and with this new opportunity. That's great. Yeah, very mission driven and appreciate that introduction because that sets the stage. We've talked to a lot of for-profit executives and now on the nonprofit side, which will dictate kind of how you operate and what you look at in the finance and accounting function. Before we get into some of these questions, though, really interesting your career track, starting in finance, starting in audit, then jumping off the finance career track, non-finance, and then jumping back on. So I'm curious, those jumping off the track and then back yeah. into the finance track, how hard or easy was that? I think it was a hard decision to make mm -hmm. for me up front because you know you really see traditionally a lot of times a, a ladder that you expect your career to go straight up, you know, the next rung in finance. But you know, when I really looked at the goal of what I wanted to be in my career, I really wanted to be an operationally based CFO, a strategic CFO, right? Where we all know that's where this position has transitioned. Um, historic, historically, it was maybe, you know, a little bit more number crunching and reporting historical numbers, but it's, it's all strategic now. And so that was really my goal to become that. And so I, you know, as I looked at different opportunities in the organization, I wanted to find the opportunity that would lead me, you know, to that outcome and to that goal. So I, I really felt that learning more about the business. So, you know, really becoming general managers of products and, you know, operations and sales. And those are all experiences that, you know, contributed to who I am today and how I look strategically at a company. So I, it was, it was easy once I got there, it was a difficult, you know, jump to make and it definitely yeah. outside your comfort zone. Right. But I would say, 100% the best experiences that I've had have been the ones that have pushed me outside of that comfort zone. Yeah, and that's a tough question that comes up for those in finance is like, do we want to jump off the track? Because working at, say, smaller organizations, that can be hard because there are limited roles. But I guess one really nice benefit of working for a very large organization, if you have that opportunity and the diverse yeah. set of roles within that organization to be able to do that, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, a large part of those opportunities were based on the relationships that you make right mm -hmm. so um i had relationships in finance but then as you you know in some of my roles were partnering with executives um at the company and so it were some of those executives that said hey come on over i think you should learn you know learn more here and it was based on those relationships that i had that allowed me to do that yeah and that you know for the audience that is a great career tip right there because right i think we both believe as cfos we have to be very operational right not just the numbers we have to understand the business and part of that is developing relations with those department leaders, uh, business unit leaders, and the better those relationships, it sounds like then that created the opportunity for you to then jump off the finance track, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. So let's now let's talk finance and accounting shop here. So yeah. let's talk at Be The Match. Let's talk a little bit about your finance and accounting or you're the CFO there. So tell us a little bit about your team structure, team size, and the compositions. Like what within finance accounting, what kind of, you could say departments are within that and roles within within your, your organization? Yeah, so so Be The Match has been around for, for over 30 years. So it's a pretty well-established company infrastructure, right? We have about 1,200 people and employees um, in the company. Our finance team is roughly 50 people. And right now it's about two thirds accounting and one third financial planning and analysis. The accounting team, you know, is led by a controller. 
and it includes a lot of the traditional functions, you know, just regular accounting, accounts receivable, accounts payable. But we do have a unique division that focuses just on our government and third-party contracts. So as the National Marrow Donor Program, we do receive a, a funding from the government. So, so we do have part of our team that solely works on those contracts as well. The FP&A team leads the budgeting and forecasting processes, their strategic planning. Their, you know, I, I really want them to be decision support resources for the senior leaders of our company. So just like you were, you know, you were just saying, these are the roles that we want them to become the advisor to that executive, right? So any anything financial, you know, putting together a business case, helping make decisions, database decisions, right, is, is the role of that FPA team. Okay, great. So yeah, that's a pretty big team, 50 people in accounting, FPA, 1200 total employees or so. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you share, say, I don't know if in in nonprofit revenue or, or kind of funding, but you must, I'm guessing with a team of this size, kind of in the billions range, a pretty large organization then. Yeah, so our, our revenue is about 500 million. It's composed mostly of, you know, I mentioned the product really is our, our bone marrow or stem cell, mm-hmm. right? So that product and services revenue, we call it search and procurement revenue, is about 80% of that revenue. About 15% is our, our government funding and about 5% is our foundation and philanthropic contributions. We're starting the new calendar here. Is your fiscal year also the calendar year? No, it's actually, we're in oh. 930 year. Oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. So when, when does your budget season happen? Do you have a budget season then where your yep. head's down knocking out the budget for the next fiscal yep. year? It's, it, unfortunately, it's in the summer, which is summer. the best time in Minneapolis. <laughs> but, but yeah, because of our 930 year end, we're, our budget season is in the summer. We're cranking on, on, you know, working with the business leaders and doing bottoms up build of that budget to then present to the board for approval in September, typically. Yeah, always interesting to see when budget season happens, yeah. how long that happens. Usually I don't mind the November, December, or even October budget season as it gets a little bit cooler yeah. where I've lived, but uh, yeah, yeah that's well, great. The, the good news though, is that we, we are on a monthly forecasting process yep. as well now. So, you know, it's, it's really real time forecasting, which makes an annual budget cycle not as cumbersome because we're keeping track of that every month so okay yeah because it sounds like if you're if you have a very disciplined forecast process maybe your nine plus three becomes the basis for your budget and then you build on top of that exactly yeah that's great and so now we're talking the nonprofit world maybe a little bit different on the numbers that you really focus on say when i've working in SaaS technology very metrics driven numbers driven but i think it sounds like it's a little bit different on 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 in your role at Be The Match. So tell us a little bit about what numbers you report to the board. Yeah, it's not for profit. So we're not solely focused on profit, which is a big difference for me too. And it's been a big Mm -hmm. transition moving to this nonprofit role. But we still are a very metrics-driven organization, which which I'm proud of. And as a numbers person, I appreciate that. But we, yeah, we have a little bit different metrics, but we've set our, our big five operating metrics that we report to the board regularly. And that really tells the story of how we're doing as an organization, not only for the board, but for our management mm-hmm. team on a regular basis as well. So those metrics, um, our, our main key metric is lives. So we literally are looking at what are the number of transplants we facilitated and ultimately the lives we save. So that's our, what we consider our true north metric. The second metric is service. So that's looking at the percentage of time we achieve that product delivery in the time that the transplant center is requesting it. So we make sure that their bone marrow is there in the time that they need it. So that's a, a metric that we, we closely monitor as well. 
Equality is another metric. And as I mentioned at the beginning, diversity of a registry is super important. So we are tracking not only the number of transplants we facilitate, but the transplants by ethnic diversity. So we can make sure that we are continuing to move that needle. Thrive is what we call our fourth metric. And that's really about the successful clinical outcome of a transplant. Did we have the high quality product that led to a successful transplant? And were we able to source that from a young viable donor for the patient? And lastly is stewardship. We call it stewardship, not, not profit or not margin, but how are we best stewarding the resources of our organization? So unlike for-profit, we really want to minimize margins, right? So we want to ensure that we are reinvesting mm -hmm. any profit that we make, you know, back into our business. So both in existing operations, as well as strategic initiatives that are going to advance our operating metrics in the future. So quite a difference to, to focus on minimizing margins. <laughs> yeah, wonderful to hear a different set yeah. of metrics that we're reporting to the board. And a couple of things I want to dive into here real quick. You've been in the for-profit world and now made that transition to nonprofit. Any tips or advice or just things that works unexpected moving from for-profit to nonprofit? Yeah, I think, like I said uh, at the beginning here, just the fact that they are still very metrics focused mm -hmm. is, I appreciated that. And it was not something I had expected. I, I didn't know what level of rigor to assume was happening, but there, that level of rigor is there. And I appreciate that and appreciate the numbers focus, I think would be my, my main observation. Yeah. And then what you mentioned in stewardship about minimizing margins, which I don't hear much. Sometimes yeah. we're reinvesting cash flow, cash burn and SaaS. Yep. But do you find that almost harder on the financial planning analysis side? Say you're making a nice net profit or you got positive even margin and we're at 20 and we want to get to 25. But here is it, do you... Is it, do you feel like you're running a little tighter where you're trying to have minimum margins and reinvest that all into the business? Do you find that, is that kind of the same as the for-profit world or do you find that almost a little bit harder? I think what's challenging is because we want to reinvest, it's still the age old question of where do we invest? Mm -hmm. Every department could use money. And so it's like, we got to look at operations. Where do we invest? We got to look at, like I said, strategic initiatives that are going to help us now plan for the future. So we have a pretty rigorous prioritization process mm -hmm. of where we, we put those investments. And we have, we've definitely increased those investments over the last couple of years as well to make sure where we stay on the cutting edge of the, the clinical advancements and different things like that. So, so it's a prioritization process on where that money gets invested, but you still have to look at the same metrics of what's mm -hmm. the return on that investment, what's the, where do you get the biggest bang for that investment? So that's all still the same, but it's investing it in, in different ways than yeah. you might. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Now, probably a key part of that is where to invest, having the numbers. The, the finance tech stack has been getting more attention lately. As organizations scale so much data, keeping track of that data, organizing it, managing it, using it. So tell us a little bit about your tech stack and how you run the, the finance and accounting operation with, with tech. Yeah, I will definitely underscore the importance of technology and finance, mm -hmm. right? There are so many manual things that happen in finance mm -hmm. that it's, we, we got to automate. We got that's So that's always a, a constant thing that I'm looking at is how can we improve? How can we do that through technology and not incremental people? So we're primarily an Oracle um, organization. So we use the e-business suite. We use all the standard modules for, for core financial functions, the general ledger, accounts payable, accounts receivable, procurement. We also have a, a module for grants, right? So for our nonprofit fundraising is all tracked in Oracle as well. 
Um, but in addition to those standard modules, we've also had to do a lot of customization with Oracle as well for things that are unique to us. We, we reimburse donors for all the medical expenses they may incur. So we have a lot of tracking of medical expenses, a lot of reimbursements back to both donors and, and donor centers. So we've built some custom modules into there as well. And anytime you customize, that adds mm -hmm. complexity. But but yeah, and other for our FPNA, we use Hyperion. Payroll, we use ADP, and then analytics and data visualization are a big emphasis lately as well, too. So we use Looker for that. That's great. Yeah, I can't imagine like donor reimbursement tracking that. It's like employee travel reimbursement, but on yeah. steroids, right? Yes. Just by so many more people. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and that's an area where there's not a lot of solutions off the shelf that are out there that can accommodate. So we've done tons of meetings, you know, with people to say, how could, what do you have that could help us simplify this? So that's an area that we're always looking to improve. Yeah, that's great. So with about 50 staff on your team, I'm sure employee retention is top of mind. We hear about the tight labor market, hard to find talent. So how has it been going for you at Be The Match or in other positions right now with finding talent and keeping employees on your team? Yeah, building a successful team is really important. Keeping them is, is equally important. And I, we've definitely seen trials and tribulations, you'd say, in, in hiring. And when I first came to the role, we had some new positions that we opened. It's, it's been difficult and it is a tight market, but I've, we've definitely found talent. It's taken us a little longer than you, you might be used to, but we found talent. And now I've, I'm, we're switching our focus now to retention and I, and not just in my finance organization, but as a company in total, we've all heard about great, the great resignation. Mm -hmm. And we've really made intentional investments this year, specifically around employee retention. And yes, we're looking at compensation and benefits, but it's not just about compensation and benefits, right? There, there are other areas that really matter to people. So training and development and career pathing, right? I, I really think the last couple of years during the pandemic, people have just been in survival mode, <laughs> trying to just get through it. And I think as we come out of that, people are going to be more and more focused on how do I advance my career? What's my next step? And so I think those are all real important for us to be looking at right now. Yeah, because you see, let's say small orgs, you, you kind of wing that, so the training, the development, the career path. Do you have a more documented process where you're at right now with career pathing, training, et cetera, that it's a little easier for employees to visualize the movement in yeah. the organization? Yeah, we're working on it, I would say. And we're really career pathing to me is really important. And I think, like I mentioned in my intro, I don't think in finance that it should really just be a straight ladder up the finance function. And like I said, I, I think people really need to be consistent about what their goal is and then finding roles that help them achieve that goal. And if that means something outside of finance, great. And we, I'll always be here when you're ready to come back. And so I really want to instill that in my team, uh, you know, that we should be diversifying experiences as much as possible. So we're working on it. And I think there's always room to improve on this. So I think that's just a continuous improvement type of a definitely always iterating on that. And what yeah. goes hand in hand with employee retention is work life balance. And I'm just curious at be the match. Are you guys on site working in a headquarters remote a mix of both? Yeah, we do have a headquarters downtown Minneapolis, but it is currently empty. So yeah, we had initial plans to come back in September. And then with um, all that with Delta variant, we have decided to hold. 
and it just seems to keep holding, right? Like many other companies. And, and we're really trying to, to take the lead from other, other large companies in Minneapolis and, and across the country. So we're still in at-home mode and we hope that in the spring we'll be able to return. It's not going to return to normal. I think we all know that. And I think hybrid is just going to become a way of life that we all kind of work to figure out. But there's a lot there's a lot to work on as it relates to retention then too, mm -hmm. right? Of keeping people connected that we're also really focusing on right now. So would you say prior to the pandemic, you were an in-the-office type organization and, and it sounds like has that changed, that perspective now yes. where things have changed permanently, where now we'll balance both, both yep. remote and on-site? Yeah, it was definitely in office prior mm -hmm. to the pandemic. And I think that vision has shifted. And I think the other thing that that opportunity that's provided is typically because we were in the office, everybody worked in Minneapolis. And so mm -hmm. I think to be able to open up to remote workers, we're going to just get that much more of a talent pool um, across the country that we can that we can rely on. So I think that's mm -hmm. definitely a shift from, from pre-pandemic. Do you think that's a little double-edged sword now? Because now we can open up recruitment to a national audience, but then that also opens up our own employees to be recruited. So it's, it helps you, but then also you have to be a little bit more aware now, it seems like. No, that is absolutely true. And yeah, tell me a little bit about your experience with the work-life balance, how you approach that in, in your current role for your team and or even in past roles. Yeah. Yeah, I think work-life balance is something that, again, is constantly something you're working on. There's never a perfect, like you're going to achieve a perfect work-life balance, but it's just an iteration over time. And I think I, I've learned myself over time, and I've been through phases of working all hours, all hours of the night, and really trying to keep up with everyone, and that type of mentality to just realizing that it's all, it's, it really is all about setting personal boundaries. And I'm a mom, working mom. And I think that's especially hard for women. You always, you see the women in their superhero cape and they're taking care of everyone but themselves. And again, especially during the pandemic, even more. I'm, I'm probably not the first mom that realized I'm not a good teacher of my kids. <laughs> that was tough. That was a tough yeah, two that years. was tough. So again, back to the, the personal boundaries, I just, I set, you got to set your schedule. I know that I'm with my kids, I'm, I'm divorced and have a, a joint, you know, custody schedule with my kids. And so my kids are here Monday, Tuesday nights. Those are my nights. I'm done at five, no matter what, because this is my time with my kids. And if I have a project or, or something I need to work later on, I have Wednesday and Thursday to do that. So um, just setting those boundaries and making them known too. I've, I've never had a person that I've said, hey, here's my boundaries and been questioned on it. People respect the boundaries that you've set once you set them out. I, I try to, same with travel. I try to coordinate my travel schedule so it's only on the days that, that I don't have my kids. So blocking calendar time, for mm -hmm. work time, things like that. Using your PTO. We always, we hear people talk about this as a struggle, but you just got to do it, right? Make an effort and, and take the PTO and actually be on PTO. Mm -hmm. I, I check in for emergencies and things mm -hmm. like that, but I, I really try to keep that time for myself. And, I, and again, to the comment of just taking care of yourself, that's a huge thing too that I think we all need to realize. Again, especially during the pandemic, and I think especially as moms, we just think that I, we, we got to take care of everyone else first. So I think finding things that bring you joy are really what, you know, and you just got to do them and do them often. So if that's 
binge watching your show on Netflix, going for a massage, playing around a golf. Like you just got to find those things that kind of re-energize you. Um, and so I think those are all things that really as leaders of a company, we need to set the example as well. You want to, and not only as a manager, as a parent, as a, all of those things, people are watching you. And I think setting a good example, modeling those behaviors will make it more likely for others to do that as well. Yeah, I love that. So it sounds like setting personal boundaries, taking care of yourself. It's not selfish. You got to take care of yourself in order to, to function and then knowing when to ask help. And then yeah. part of this, it just seems like we've always known, hey, we've got to take care of ourselves physically. But now the mental health aspect yep. has really come to the forefront, right? With the work-life balance and just as important as, as physical health. Yeah, absolutely. And then interesting your comment about, say, working mom and setting boundaries. And so what's your experience now that you've risen to a high-level executive CFO position, worked at a large organization prior to that, as a female in finance and working your way up that finance ladder, how has that experience been? And what, what have you seen through your career working up uh, the ranks that maybe there are you know, a lot of males in the finance ranks? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, no doubt that finance is a pretty male-dominated function or, or industry. Yeah. And like I said, I would say early in my career, you definitely notice you try to be one of the guys, you work really hard to make a name for yourself. And then early in my career, there really weren't a lot of female executives for you to look up to as a role model and not just in finance, but at executive levels of the company and, and other companies in general. I think we've clearly, we've drastically improved since that time. But again, I think it is all just the learning that um, I am a mom and there might be guys there that don't have kids and can work all hours a night, but it's not me. So I, you need to, you, you just realize you need to set your own boundaries. You need to do what you need to do. You work hard and you, you're, I've still found ways to move forward. I think a couple of things on navigating that I would say is really first finding a great female mentor for yourself. Early in my career, I had an opportunity to, to be a part of a female mentoring group that that matched me with a mentor, a female mentor from a different company, which was also lovely to have someone that's not as biased in the things that are happening in your own company to take a look from an outside perspective. And, and that was a really amazing relationship um, that I created and definitely helped have a sounding board for things that, that you couldn't talk to with people in your own company. I think secondly, I would say finding a sponsor which is very different than a mentor, right? So mentors are, you give advice to you, you can bounce things off, but a sponsor is someone typically right within your own organization. And, and I don't, this doesn't have to be a female. It can be anybody that, that I think really sings your praises to the organization, helps you find the next opportunity. Like I said, in, in moving out of finance, I use some of those sponsors to be able to navigate my way into more business and operations roles. So I think sponsorship is really important. And I think lastly, I think finding a community of, of female peers is really important as well. There's been huge diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives recently. Many companies have ERGs now, like employee resource groups. Be The Match has a women's ERG group that has amazing education and panels and, and things like that really give you a forum to, to, like I said, find peers, talk about things, find ways to navigate. I found several communities like that as well, not even just within my companies, but outside professional organizations, women's executive uh, mentoring teams and, and things like that. So finding that community, I think, of someone you can talk to 
is also really important to help navigate. That's great. So it sounds like navigating that path in finance, seeking out female executive mentorship, finding a sponsor, maybe not necessarily in finance, but in your org, and then finding a female community where you can talk shop, learn from each other, learn from their experiences as they've risen through the ranks in in finance. And also it sounds like just being, it's so cliched, but I'm such a big believer in it's being a self-starter, taking that self-initiative, which you did to go seek out this stuff, because sometimes they're not formal programs and you almost have to create your own initiative to to help supplement your career. It sounds like. Yeah. I I give that advice very regularly to, to just reach out. You could, it can be a cold call. It could be a cold email, find someone that you admire in your organization or outside and just shoot them an email. And again, what's the the worst they can say is no. And then you move on, but it's your career is driven by you. It's not going to happen to you. It's going to be driven by you. So I think all of those are are great navigational tools. And I I would also say that now I'm at Be The Match, our CEO is female. Our leadership team, our executive team is 60% female. And I think that's, it's just been an amazing atmosphere. And I'm, I'm so happy to be part of this organization now as well. Yeah, that's great. Great advice there. And we'll ask for another piece of advice here as we wrap up and conclude the podcast. But if you had one piece of advice to give to modern finance leaders, what would that be? Yeah, I really think being your true and authentic self is so important. And I I would say it, it took me a while to get there and to realize it because you're always, you've got visions of what you should be. Even growing up as a kid, I should be this, I should do that, I should. Don't ever do what people think you should do, what you think you should be. You gotta just be yourself and your path will come from that. And so authenticity drives trust in your team. You'll build a better team. And it just is, it just leads to much, you know, more long-term success for everyone. Just That's great. Just so real. it sounds, yeah, it's great. <laughs> so be your authentic self. That's what's going to stand out. That's what it's going to maybe build your brand per se. Yep. So that's great. This was great. We got a peek into the nonprofit world, the different metrics, work-life balance, Etc. moving up the, the ladder as a female in, in finance. So some great stuff here. So Krista, really appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at stamply.com slash leaders of modern finance. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the most powerful way to process and pay invoices. Stamply is the only accounts payable automation software that centers communication on top of the invoice so that accounts payable collaborates better with approvers, vendors, and anyone involved in purchases to quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.